0: This is the preaching podcast from Keystone Church and Pastor Josh Cox. To find out more about Keystone, visit keystonerdu.church. We hope you enjoy today's message. Um, We are in week two of our series, All Things New How the Gospel Shapes Our Identity. If you're here for the first time today or you're a guest, may I say with honesty here that we are built around the sequential, expositional preaching and teaching of the Bible. Um, From the time we've started our church until now, we have preached through books of the Bible. We've been at the beginning of the book, preached to the end of the book. That is my heart. That is my passion. Um... Sometimes around Christmas, we'll do a topical series and whatnot, but um, the Lord strongly impressed upon me uh, this series. Uh, We are going to be in this series until the end of February, and um, it is a concept that I want us to grasp. Um, If you struggle with having to live up, if you struggle with a a to-do list of Christianity, check this box and check this box, and then check this box. And if you're three for three, thumbs up and wink. If you're two out of three, uh, if you're one out of three, oh. If you struggle with that kind of Christianity, um, I'm hoping that this is a help to you. We will conclude this in the end of February, and we will move directly into the book of James um, to begin the month of March. I believe that is a perfect book to follow up a series on who we are, our, our identity in Christ through the gospel, it's a perfect series to follow that up with because James is all about, now that you are a believer, how should your works portray what you believe? Remember, we only believe that which moves us to action. And so, how would our works portray what we believe? So that's where we're heading. I wanted you to be aware of that. But for today, we're in week two of All Things New. As we introduced this series last Sunday, we found it extremely important to define and to explain the gospel. Now, I did my best in one sermon, um, and I, I would not claim that I did it uh, justice, of course. But if you were not here last week, I would um, maybe point you to our YouTube page or our podcast to catch up on that. But I'll summarize it. Paul defined in his letter to the Corinthians, he defined the gospel as the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Uh, This phrase he used according to the scriptures, twice. But we found out there was a lot more to unpack as we dove deeper into those truths of the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. We spoke last week of man's sinful nature that he received from Adam. And that nature did not just make us sinners but made us enemies of God. And no matter what good we did before Christ, we were working as an enemy of God. Not just bad, but as an enemy. We spoke of Jesus being the only one worthy to pay for our sin and to restore the enemies of God back to himself, by the way, as friends of God. And how through his resurrection, he has given us a spirit-filled life, an abundant life, some would say. If, if, we repent and believe. We spoke of this repentant faith and how repentant faith is the necessary step of salvation to anyone and everyone who would believe. Repentant faith. And for many people, if you grew up in Sunday school, the gospel kind of stops there. You believed in repentant faith and You received Christ, and the gospel did its work in your heart, and now it's time for you, I guess, to try to live this life, right? Like the gospel came, and you had that moment of salvation, and it's like, all right, good luck, I'll see you in heaven. But it didn't stop there, and it doesn't stop there. We concluded last week with the implications of the gospel. If the gospel is so powerful, then... How should we live? How should we act? How should we display this gospel in our communities and to our world around us? We mentioned that we should live in gospel driven humility with love and care for those whom Jesus loved and cared for others. We mentioned four tangible ways to display the gospel in our daily lives displaying love and unity, displaying generosity, displaying joy in the midst of persecution and miraculous answer to prayer so the gospel is more than a a prayer that we recite the gospel is uh, more than just a head knowledge that we have uh, have have attributed ourselves to the gospel is more it's much more it's more than a creed that we a creed that we ascribe to the gospel is a transformational truth that grips our body soul and spirit And it leads us into a lifetime of purposeful kingdom living. The gospel is neither the green flag, the prayer we pray, nor the checkered flag entering into heaven one day. It is the entire race. It's from beginning to end. And that is where we find ourselves this morning in our series, All Things New, how the gospel shapes our identity We know that the gospel we mentioned last week, the gospel also affects how we interpret scripture, how we read scripture, understanding that the overall redemptive narrative of of, of Christ being the center and reconciling fallen man to his creator God. And that's key as we unpack some scripture. We want to give time today to speak on the word identity I do not today want to rush through this topic, for if I were to rush through this topic, I may convolute the entire meaning and crux of this sermon series. I will say this um, I believe you have a pastor in here today. Are you a pastor? Somewhere over there? Yeah. So I typically preach more through text of scripture, and I apologize to you in advance. Today, I will admittedly have more of a philosophical lean to this sermon. For those of you who come every week, I, I hope. Over the last two years and three months, I've maybe earned this one this one Sunday and maybe next week. Um, give me, give me. We're we're gonna break. We're gonna be in a big portion of scripture today, but just you'll understand at the end. I must have the freedom today just to rightly explain the subject of identity, uh, somewhat from a secular or cultural point of view, so that we can fully understand it, and then we can tie it in with what scripture would have us to learn. I also want to credit this morning, uh, Tim Keller. Uh, who is a well-known author and theologian, former pastor uh, at Redeemer Presbyterian Church in New York City, uh, with the overall thought behind this week and next week. So we'll be dealing two weeks in this. Um, his influence is throughout this message, um, and so because of that, I'm not going to credit him every time I say something that I got from him. Uh, I didn't get the entire message from him, but he is sprinkled without throughout this message, and I wanted to go ahead and do that up front. All right, I want to be honest. I never want to. Uh, I never want to you know, claim something as my own uh, where it was heavily influenced by someone else. But I believe today will be transformational. It was and has been for me. And then, as we move past identity into uh, what, what it means to have our old man crucified and our new man uh, come about, that's, that's the following week. And then, for two weeks, we're going to have Steve and Jeff preach on who I am in Christ now. And then, we're going to close it out with some practical applications. And then, we'll have a special speaker in the end of February to close. That's where we're heading. But identity is key. Can we pray together? Heavenly Father, would you illuminate this truth? God, as you have illuminated it to me in study, as you have illuminated it to me in my own heart and life. God, just this week, as as you pulled back the scab in my life, God, some areas where I was allowing myself to be heavily influenced by this identity crisis that we face. God, I pray this morning that we would just allow the truth to to penetrate into our hearts and our minds. We would be open, and we would be willing to hear from your Holy Spirit and your word this morning. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. We are in an identity crisis. People skipping from one thing to another, people adjusting, people uh, trying to live up to, there's a lot of things going on. With identity, can I define it this morning? Identity is a combination of who we are and what we value. A sense of self and a sense of worth. Our identity is where we look for security and significance. That's our identity. Identity. A combination of who we are and what we value, a sense of self and a sense of worth, where we look for security and significance. Can I give you a shortcut? If you'd like to find out what somebody has based their identity on, have a conversation with them and have it maybe five different times and find out what they always talk about. If you want to find someone's identity, find what moves them to emotional action. Identity. Every culture, uh, with or without our permission, and without calling it as such, imposes an identity formation process on us, its members. Every culture. The culture doesn't ask our permission, and the culture doesn't say I am about to impose a secular humanistic idea of identity on your life right now. Get ready. It's coming. Three, two, one, are you ready? Our culture does not do that. Our culture simply imposes it. Doesn't ask permission. Doesn't identify it. Just imposes an identity formation process on us. This formation process tells us, by culture, who we should be and what we should value. Our culture tells us where we should look to for security and where we should look to for significance. Once again, without asking permission, culture is so good at infiltrating its identity formation process into our lives that well-meaning followers of Jesus are sucked in and before long we find ourselves in the vicious cycle of a worldly identity viewpoint and we don't even realize that we're there or how we got there. I'll be doing a lot of my sermon today reading not typically, but today. Today may we at the very least become aware of these identity structures that are around us. Today may we be at least warned about the identity structures around us that want to cripple us and and render us ineffective as followers of Jesus. We want to unpack three types of identities that we as human beings and followers of Jesus can find ourselves wrapped in. Traditional identity, modern identity, and the third is gospel identity. You can tell by the three that my goal over the next two weeks is for us to move out of a traditional identity or move out of a modern identity and move into a gospel identity. Identity, But in order to understand the gospel identity, which we will close with a little teaser of today, we must understand the first two identities. To help us do that, turn to Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15 is a very familiar parable. The lost son or the prodigal son. Because Scripture does such a good job of painting this picture, I'm going to let Scripture speak for itself this morning. And we're going to read the entire story, beginning in verse 11 of Luke chapter 15. If you have your Bibles, great. If not, the verses will be on the screen for you. Verse 11, And he said, A certain man had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided to them his livelihood." And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country, and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living. But when he had spent all, there arose a severe famine in that land, and he began to be in want. Then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country and sent him into his fields to feed swine. Verse 16, And he would gladly have filled his stomach, with the pods that the swine ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough in despair, and I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father, But when he was still a great way off, his father kissed him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight and am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring out the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet and bring the fatted calf here and kill it. Let us eat and be merry, verse 24. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to be merry. Now his older son, verse 25, was in the field. As he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked what, things, what these things meant. And he said to him, Your brother has come. And because he has received him safe and sound, Your father has killed the fatted calf. But he, the older brother, was angry and would not go in. Therefore his father came out and pleaded with him. So he answered and said to his father, Lo, these many years I have been serving you, I never transgressed your commandment at any time. And yet you never gave me a young goat that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as this this son of yours came who has devoured your livelihood with harlots, You killed a fatted calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that I have is yours. It was right that we should make merry and be glad, for your brother was dead and is alive again and was lost and is found. What we have here is a really well constructed, almost as if Jesus told it explanation of a modern identity and a traditional identity. We find the modern identity in the younger brother, and we find the traditional identity in the older brother. And just so we're clear here, the father wasn't pleased with either of those two identity structures. The father was not pleased with the modern structure, and the father was not pleased with the traditional structure. And while one of those structures, let's put it out there, the traditional structure this morning will seem a little more palatable, the traditional structure will seem a little bit more honorable in our culture, we must understand this morning that it doesn't make it right. Okay, it doesn't make it right. So here we go. You ready? Everybody ready to think? Good. Y'all gonna be like, who is this up here preaching? All right, here we go. What is traditional identity? What is it? What is traditional identity? Traditional identity says this, my choices are based on duty. It's my duty and that's what I'm gonna do. I am externally driven from the outside in. I must live up to the expectations of others. I must adjust me because of society. Society especially my family must val- must validate me i take pride in fitting in this and leave it up there for a little bit justin this is a traditional identity i'm going to leave this up as i explain some people that maybe you know or maybe it's you who knows Here's an example of traditional identity. I'm an Irishman. We work hard. We are committed to the culture of our country and to our family. We take pride in the blue-collar life. My dad worked over 60 hours a week to see that my family was taken care of, and I'm going to do the same because this is who I am. Here's another one. I'm an educated woman. I'm not, but hey. We are committed to intelligence and success. We take pride in our financial and social status. We do what it takes to succeed in the high-pressure, white-collar society that we live in. After all, my parents, though divorced and estranged from one another, paid a lot of money for my education. Both of these... Traditional identities. Society has forced, outside in, externally driven, society has forced each of these two people, this Irish man and this educated woman, into their box. They are your stereotypical traditional identity person. In fact, maybe, as I was saying those words, you may have been thinking about someone that you know that's in your life that you're like, that sounds like one of my friends. That sounds like a family member of mine. You may have thought of them immediately. We see the traditional identity in the older brother in the prodigal son story. He stayed within the confines of the structure around him. This is my family. This is what, my, this is what we do. We stay here. We don't do what the younger brother did. We're going to stay here out of duty. And we found out definitely not, definitely not out of love. The older brother stayed and lived his traditional identity life. He was driven by the external, living up to the expectations, or so he thought he was, of his father. He desperately sought validation from his father, but that validation never seemed to come. I hope that traditional identity made a little bit of sense to you this morning, somewhat of a grasp on what it is. And may I say, as I said earlier, I must admit traditional identity is, does not sound that bad. I must, under, I must admit to that. Maybe it's because of the culture that we have grown up in here, mostly, most of us in America and this Americanized culture, um, at least pre, say, 2005 um, American culture, we... Kind of are like, oh great, that's our that's our good old blue-collar American boys. That's those that signed up to go overseas, and that's those who signed up to you know to work. Those are the ones, those are the, the factory workers that built Durham. Right? And we and we see those things. And once again, just stick with me here. I'm not I'm not killing you over that. Believe me. But what is a modern identity? So you saw the traditional identity and what it is. What is a modern identity? My choices are based on my desires and feelings. I am internally driven. I dig deep inside me and I live it out. I create my own expectations. In other words, I define what's good and right for me. My society must adjust to me. May I add, not just adjust, they must celebrate it. I will validate myself. I need no external validation. Lastly, I take pride in standing out. The modern identity. I know you're going to laugh at this and that's cool. The fact that I can do this without looking at my notes here in a second makes it probably funnier. But I will give you one of the best examples of modern identity that I possibly can. Brooke, you ready? All right. The snow glows white on the mountain tonight. Not a footprint to be seen. A kingdom of isolation. And it looks like I'm the queen. The wind is howling like this swirling storm inside. Couldn't keep it in. heaven knows I've tried. Listen to this. Traditional identity here. Don't let, don't let them in, don't let them see. Be the good girl you always have to be, traditional identity. Conceal, don't feel, don't let them know, traditional identity. But now they know, all right, here we go. <laughs> here comes modern identity, are you ready? Let it go, let it go, can't hold it back anymore, let it go, let it go, turn away and slam the door. I don't care what they're gonna say. Let the storm rage on, the cold never bothered me anyway. It's funny how some distance makes everything seem small and the fears that once controlled me, the traditional identity, they can't get to me at all. It's time to see what I can do to test the limits and break through. No right, no wrong, no rules for me. I'm free. Funny, but like, okay, and I can't really do it much better than my sister theologian Elsa did uh, as, she, as she sang this. And shout out to uh, Dina Menzel. But uh, here's an illustration that I'm going to use a couple of times over the next couple of weeks. A woman has a choice between getting engaged and married to the guy or to follow her career and land that dream job. That's a choice that many people are faced with if we're, if we're real. So get married is the forced traditional identity. You find your identity in your family, you find your identity in what society has said, this is what you do, you find the man and you go after and you, go and you, and you seal the deal. Obviously, followed career is a forced modern. And and can I highlight that word, forced? See, modern identity wants to think that I'm living for me and everybody's going to adjust to me when really, no. Modern identity is forced upon you because try to live a modern, secular, humanistic lifestyle and dare to choose the man over the career. Good luck with that. You see, we have this lady who has a choice to make between a traditional identity of getting married or getting engaged and married or a modern identity of following her career and her job. Later, we'll tell you how the beauty of the gospel makes that work. That's how we're closing today. So when we get there, you know we're done. And everybody can be like, sweet, tell me to go eat. Can I be real here, though? As I mentioned in my prayer, I've allowed culture somewhat to infiltrate my life and my family and to thrust this modern identity expectation at me, and I'll be honest with you, my my daughters. I mean, listen, I just read the lyrics to the most popular Disney song of the last eight years, and we've already taken our girls to see Frozen 2 twice, so I mean... So what I'm, what I'm saying here, that doesn't mean that I'm not going to watch Frozen anymore, by the way. That's what the tri- traditional identity would say. Oh, Frozen says that? Don't listen to that then. No, instead, I'm, this simply means I'm going to make sure that I'm reinforcing healthy, biblical identity truths in the life of my daughters. To explain to them that this is not reality, and here's what the gospel says. But our society is filled with modern identity proponents. I am going to define who I am and I'm gonna make everyone else be okay with it and not just be okay with it, but I'm going to put pressure on everybody else to celebrate who I have defined myself to be. That's why you have people get on shows, singing shows with absolutely no talent and proclaim themselves to be a singer. And you better, don't you dare hurt that fragile little soul by telling her or telling him that they can't sing. Don't you dare do that because you could crush the dreams inside of them, the modern identity. But can I say this, that modern identity this morning is fragile. It's fragile because you are the ultimate validator in your own life. And you refuse to give anyone else the right to speak into your life, and help you to make changes. Ultimately, your feelings will get involved in your own life, and you will break down, displaying your true fragility. It's what modern identity will eventually do. Here's here's one: modern identity is fragmenting. It destroys community. Family, politics, friendships, authority structures, because modern identity is so individualistic. It's me. It's who I am. It's who I want to be. It's who I'm going to be. That oftentimes it short circuits family and politics. Lord have mercy. Friendships and authority structures around us. Try being the boss of someone who has a modern identity. I need you to be a cashier today. Well, I'm not a cashier. The way we do it and make it sound better, that that was not my job description, that's not who I am. Modern identity is not only fragile and fragmenting, but it's crushing. The fact is you put enormous pressure on yourself to stand out and and to keep up the perception of your identity. And we see it as, a, as we try to market ourselves or to keep our influencer status online, but the pressure of modern identity will ultimately crush you and come crashing down. Certainly there's an answer to this, right? The traditional identity of I am who I was, my country and my national loyalty and allegiance, I am who my family structure put in place and that's who we are and who I am and On the flip side, no one's gonna tell me who I am. I'm gonna define who I am. I'm gonna live my own life, and not only do you have to be cool with it, you have to celebrate it. When's my party? There's gotta be an answer to this because neither traditional nor modern identities are biblical. If you want a stable, consistent, infallible validator, the only option Is God. Can I say that again? If you want a stable, consistent, infallible person to validate you, the only option is God. Can I say a couple of things that may hit very close to home? You got an amazing wife where you find your validation from? How will she help you when you're looking at her in a coffin? You have an awesome career and a job where you find your validation this morning? Well, how will that help you when the company downsizes and you're part of the first cut? You're super athletic and gifted with talent today. How will that help you when you get in that wreck and can't run anymore without chronic pain? And you find your validation this morning in your family? Well, what if in a week from now, you don't have your family? You find your validation today in your children? God forbid. But what if you wake up and you don't have them? You find your validation, pastor, in what you do for a living and the work you do at the church? Well, What happens if God takes this away? He can. He's taken down many more powerful churches than this. Some of them I thank God for. Husband, wife, you find your validation in your marriage, well, what happens if your marriage ends up like over half the world's marriages? And it crumbles. Can we just be real this morning? We may not look at the definitions that we gave early in the sermon and say, oh, yeah, I seek validation from those things. But can we be real? I think on a real level, I think we all struggle with seeking validation, whether it's inside of the traditional identity structure or it's inside of that modern identity structure. And certainly there must be an answer. And next week we will learn much more about the gospel identity. The plan next week is to briefly go through this and lead us into the bulk of our sermon. But in the gospel, your identity is received, not achieved. In the gospel, your identity is received, not achieved. See, no matter if it's traditional or modern, you are always trying to achieve whatever that status is. If daddy was a blue-collar worker, then you've got to achieve that same status. If you define success in the modern identity as this, then you have to achieve that. In the gospel, your identity is received, not achieved. And don't get me wrong, good should and must get achieved, but you cannot achieve it. 2 Corinthians 5.21, one of my favorite verses in Scripture, For he made him who knew no sin, to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him, in Jesus. Your identity is received, the righteousness of God in Jesus. It's not achieved, the righteousness of Josh in himself. Because the righteousness of Josh in himself is so tainted by sin. The righteousness of Josh in and of himself has had years and years of fleshly appetites and years and years and years of sin to deal with. No, it's the righteousness of God in Christ. God looks at you just as you are and finds you valuable in Jesus Christ, just as you are. There's nothing you can do to achieve it. He finds you valuable in Christ, just as you are. And when we grasp this gospel identity, we will realize that our identity is not based on our performance, but our identity is based on the performance of Jesus Christ on the cross. And the pressure is off. The pressure is off. Can we go back to that earlier illustration? You remember the woman? She's got a choice to make. Choice A, traditional identity. Get engaged and marry the man. Choice B, modern identity. Don't let man hold you back. Follow the job and your career. Traditional, modern. Modern. What does a gospel identity allow that lady to do? Listen very closely. This is the crux of it. It allows her to declare that her identity, who she is, what she values, her sense of self and her sense of worth, and where she looks for identity and for significance. Her identity will not change based upon this decision because her identity is in Christ. So watch this. This is what a gospel identity allows her to do. She can now actually weigh her options and make her decision without the weight of, tra- of traditional identity pressure or modern identity pressure. She doesn't have to fit in to the traditional mold or the modern mold. She can actually be free to make a rational and biblical decision Decision. And whether she chooses A, to get engaged and marry this man, or whether she chooses B, to follow her her career and her job, her identity is unhindered and her identity will not change because our identity is wrapped in Christ. And what you will find two years later is you'll either find a married lady with her identity wrapped in Jesus first. Or you may find a lady who's still single pursuing her job and her dreams with her identity completely wrapped in Jesus. You see, the identity structures of this culture force us into making decisions without us being able to make them. And what the gospel allows us to do, it frees us. We sing about it, right? Man, there's freedom, and we'll raise our hand and praise the Lord for freedom. The gospel frees us in identity structures to make rational decisions because your worth and your value will not change no matter which direction or decision that you make. This lady will not find validation in her husband and she will not find validation in her career because she has found validation in Jesus. And when you can get there, In your life. When you can find your validation in Christ. And Christ alone. He will free you. Now sometimes those are tough decisions you have to make. Nobody said the decisions were easy. But Jesus allows you the freedom to make those decisions. And your identity is intact. He allows you to make decisions. And to make rational biblical choices. And your identity is unchanged. Because your identity, your life, this verse next week, your life is hidden with Christ in God. Because your life and your identity is hidden with Christ in God. It's time for us believers to fight back on what modern and traditional culture wants to force us into. And it's time to surrender our self-worth and validation to Jesus, our Lord and our Savior, because it is then and only then that we can step into the freedom that comes with a true gospel identity. You say, Josh, is it it possible to be a believer and be wrapped up in traditional or modern identity? Oh, most definitely. Most definitely. The growth of the believer the next step of the believer, the deepness of the gospel pushes the believer out of a traditional identity into a gospel identity. It pushes the believer who's been given the modern and given the modern and the modern pushed. It, it, it pushes them into a gospel identity, but that does not mean that we have fully mastered it. For myself this week, the Holy Spirit wouldn't leave me alone about areas in my life where this is the case. So believer, what are we asking today? Number one, I believe we should ask that the Holy Spirit would illuminate areas in our own personal lives where we have allowed an identity structure to take root that is not centered on the gospel and not centered on Jesus. We must ask even the most difficult of questions. Do I find my identity more in being a husband to my wife or a father to my daughters than I do in being a child of God? That's a tough question, because I love my daughters, and I love my wife. Hey, I must ask a difficult question this week. Pastor Josh, does your role and position as pastor and your identity as pastor, does it supersede your identity as child of God? Oh, that's a tough one. Here's a, here's a, way, here's a way for me to ask that better. Hey, Josh, what all would you do at this church if you weren't the pastor? Step back real quick, right? You see, I've got to ask myself some difficult questions. And I would ask you throughout this week to ask yourself some difficult questions. Is my identity wrapped up in my job? Is it the only thing that consumes me? Is it everything that I live for? Is it what validates me? Do I go to work and do I? Hold up, this could be a whole series. Do I go to work and feel more validated than I do at home? Do I go to work as a man? Do I go to work and feel more validation from my coworkers, some of them female? almost, almost out of your business. Um, some of them female, then you do feel validation at home from your wife? Let, let's, let's ask some real questions this week about where we're finding our validation. Because where we find our validation is where our identity is wrapped up in. Do you find your validation in your success at work? Do you find validation in receiving that award? And it may not be some crazy monetary award, it may just be the recognition that your coworkers see that you outperformed other people that quarter. Those are are things we value outside of the gospel outside of being a child of God. And by the way, depending on your, your, your identity structure, all of those things to, could be forced into a traditional mold or into a modern mold. But at the end of the day, whichever mold you find yourself in, if you're not in this mold right here, the gospel identity based upon Jesus Christ and your, and your relationship and position with him, then I beg you this week, get on your knees and say, God, I want to find my identity in you. And while I love my job, and I want to do my best, and I, I really do want to succeed in my job, God, because you gave me that job. God, I never want to focus on succeeding at my job more than focusing on being a child of the king. I never want to wrap my identity, God, in my wife as much as I love her more than I wrap it in you. And this week, can we, can we focus our attention on where we should have our identity. Hey, and then you got a tough decision to make this week? Hey, wrap your identity in Christ and make the decision. You want no judgment here? Make your decisions. Hey, ma'am, choose that man or choose that job. No judgment here. You know why? Because your identity is in Christ. Heavenly Father, the freedom that you give us the freedom to live for you. The freedom this morning in the gospel. It's an incredible thing. God, I thank you so much. If you're a believer in the room today, I, I pray. I, this was such a different sermon. And just kind of apologetically, I pray that today helped. I pray that today worked with last Sunday and we'll work with next Sunday as we continue in this series. But if you are here today and you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus, that identity structure we talked about, the one where Jesus is at the center of it, You don't have a relationship with Him, a personal, real relationship with Christ. I'd like to invite you into a relationship with Him today. This has been the Preaching Podcast from Keystone Church and Pastor Josh Cox. For more information about Keystone Church, visit keystonerdu.church. Please subscribe to hear future messages. Thank you.